Hello and welcome to In Search of Tracks podcast. Happy New Year. Hi, Bob. Hi, Pete. Waving in 2023. <laughs> um, buddy, I got a big question for you. What do you got? It is not New Year's related. Uh, do, do you wear shoes in your house? Are you... Are you uh, no, do you we're do a non-shoe household. Okay. okay, okay. Now, did you grow up in a non-shoe household? I actually didn't. I was like rollerblading around my house as a kid, but somehow I... Uh, You've gone zen. Your significant other has, has convinced you of it? Something happened at some point that I thought that that was the, the better way, and my wife agreed, so we just mm. did it. But really? like, I also, I think I was listening to it I forget where I heard it. It was maybe a podcast or a comedian or something. And mm-hmm. they were basically like, yeah, the guy that makes you take your shoes off, like that's not a house that you want to go into. And part of me is like, oh, I, I, partially, I partially agree because it's just like an obnoxious thing you have to do if you're going to someone else's house. Yeah. But I like it. So No, I, I, I get it. I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's bad. I, I'm defiant, Pete. It's a problem. Yeah. My partner just wants it to be that way, but didn't ever have the conversation. And so I'm like, no, I'll wear my shoes because sometimes, and I'll explain why it's not, it's not pure. Like I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Uh, my, My significant other is the most important person in my world. I love her. I do anything for her. But, um, but at the same time, I'm also the person who cleans the house. Like I, I'm the one who cleans the floor like all the time, all, sure. all the time. Uh, I'm very careful. Yeah. I do take my shoes. If I'm, yo, I, I, I will, I got three mats in the garage. If I'm coming in, my shoes are muddy or dirty. All three of those mats get hit and the shoes come off before I get in the house. However, sometimes I'm busy, got stuff to do. I gotta. I, I don't got time to stop at the door and fuss with getting my shoes on. What am I That's doing? That's exactly it. Yeah, that, you forget something so, in the bedroom. What, are you going to take your shoes off, put them on, take them off, run in the I'm house, grab your saying. keys? Yeah, oh, you can't do so it. You can't. So I try to be. I try to be respectful of it. And I, I only think of this, Pete, because um, I came in and I actually realized I've had my shoes on all day. It's been one of those busy days. Yeah, um, you know, I, I had. Uh, I had uh, the baby girl with me all day. I had drop off, drop off my son at school, back in the school, all that fun stuff. Uh, have the baby with me. We're running errands, failed errands. Pete, you know about a failed errand when you go to do something and you can't, you don't do it. You try again and it's still, it's a failure. It was a failed errand day. Um, <laughs> but anyways, and then some post school stuff and da 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 right up to coming in, setting up my laptop, plugging in, sending the links. I'd just been going all day. Shoes haven't come off. So I took the shoes. My feet smell fine. Everything's fine. But they just, I needed to, I needed to get my feet out of my shoes. So uh, that brought me to the thoughts of, ooh, I wonder if pizza, shoes on or shoes off household. <laughs> I also know your house. I'm not going to like, no addresses listed here. We know we got some Shirts of Tracksaholics, so I don't want to, you know, put it out there. But you have like kind of a nice um, median zone where it makes sense yeah. to take your shoes off. So I, I get that energy. I think that's smart. Um, you know what the key is, though, the classy move that I want to I want to upgrade to this at some point mm, is to have mm. like house slippers for your guests. Mm. You know, like some nice Whoa, moccasins for guests. 
Yeah. Okay. So what? How do you? So I think. Like, or actually, you, let me have, let me pose this to you. It, yeah. Would that be a step up, or would that be kind of weird and gross because you're wearing well, like slippers? Right. That, well, because you're wearing them. So so you go spa style, right? Where it's the like. And I hate, I'm not trying to be wasteful. So there's two paths to me. You go spa style where there's the disposable like sandal, flip-flop, maybe slip on <laughs> that are a little cozy, something like that. But then afterwards, yep. you know, they're, they're disposed of, you know, that's fine. Or like I'm thinking COVID era hotel rooms. It's like, oh, look at this, like Lysol branded door lock that has it sealed. And you can tell you're breaking the seal of perfect cleanliness. The um, you have little you have booties you have like uh, little sandals or slippers I like the house slippers, um that already have preset in um, like paper sock things in there, uh, so you, you're they're some always kind of liner. yep exactly there you go so yeah. it's, you know you're fresh as foot uh, your foot Keep is fresh, fresh even that's right um I know you were not expecting to have shoe talk foot talk today but you've rolled with it well um i look I mean, forward I'm okay to updates i'm up, look forward <clears> to updates <throat> about your um house slipper endeavors i think it's i think it's a worthy move on your part might just be a surprise you come over one day and i present I you with guest slippers how i'm i'm just excited for what they look like i i did <laughs> when you said moccasins i got pretty psyched so like like I'm I'm not saying but it is kind of like suggestive. We're just post holidays here. Um maybe maybe that's what you you know. It's like a present to the world for 2023, you know? Yeah. That's a good vibe. That's a good vibe we, we're trying we to put out. We're talking about a record today that I think is a good vibe. I think it's, it's a good vibe too. A, yeah, it's it's a it, uh, there's a lot of vibing on this record <laughs> in a way I didn't expect. Yeah. Um so I'm pretty excited to talk about this one and I'm fascinated to see the overall reaction of the tracks audience here because this one's Same. like, I think, I think this is a bit of a polarizing band. Um, we might as well stop shrouding this in secrecy because everybody has clicked on the link and know what record we're talking about. So yeah, it's rush 2112. It's their fourth album from a 1976. 1976 uh feels very 1976 to me it does yeah um do you know why we chose this one bob um i don't remember why did we choose this one usually we choose records that a lot of the listeners request this is not one of those records this is (laughs) one this this is you this was just me i just that's hell yes i just pulled this one out of the hat because i have always had a troubled relationship with rush like i wanted to like them but i just feel like they never hit me at the right time okay okay yeah that that seems to be a rush thing yep i just wanted to dig in and i thought we're hitting the new year it's 2023 it's basically the same thing as 2112 so let's just do it now (laughs) you know hell yeah we are uh likely neither (laughs) of us will be alive in 2112 um if we are i expect the uh, tracks empire has grown substantially. So um, this is dedicated <laughs> to our floating heads recording podcasts in the year 2012. <laughs> um, 
I'm excited oh, to talk about twenty one twelve podcasts. Yeah, no, it's gonna be fun. It's just it's just weird um, electro signals that are dopamined into your brain through a little a small disc uh once exactly a week. And, you just, and that you're like oh that was a great podcast this week and then i respond <laughs> it's really cool um so is, Ster- uh, is stern still doing podcasts at that point hell yes he is Him you know and joe rogan like are, they bring uh, back rush yeah. all the am radio oh. people it'd be great oh man the am radio people um first and foremost i want to say r.i.p rush and it was Neil Pert who passed, correct? Yep. RIP Neil Pert. Um, this is a super polarizing band, partially due to some very particular sonic cues that are just not for everyone. That said, the craftsmanship and competency of these folks, like, almost undeniable and uh neil part played a huge part of that so um this is every every band's band every player's band every guitar center's band because of just the merit of how good they are um i'm excited to hear about your relationship with rush and i I can share mine i think it might be less uh rocky but uh let's just dive in what do you got tell me about your experience with the band rush so for me I, there's a period probably in high school where I was just buying all of the dollar bin records. Yep. And there were a lot of rush dollar bin records and I was kind of a prog fan. I really liked, yes, I liked King Crimson. I liked all this stuff. So rush seemed like the next logical step. And I got 2112. I think I got a, I had a few of them because they were all just, you know, a buck or two and it just never hit. I would keep going back to it. I didn't hate it, but I definitely didn't love it. And I didn't like it. I didn't even like it enough to really put it on more than a few times. Um, so I ended up getting rid of those. I then saw them. I was working at this venue in San Francisco for years mm-hmm. and they came through. I think they did three nights. So I saw them three nights in a row. That tracks. Okay. And they, I they just like did, they impressed me like, in terms of their musicianship, obviously. Yeah. And the show was cool, but like, I just did not care then either at all. Um, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah, so you just did the live hit. experience and it still didn't kind of, it didn't c- turn the corner on you. Okay. Didn't turn the corner on me at all. And since then, especially since Neil Pert died, I'm like, I got to go in on Rush again and give him another go. And now's that time. So I never hated Rush. I just didn't care at all. What about you? Oh, Pete, two important things to discuss right now. Um, one you actually sort of touched on, but I'll loop it in. First, though, before I moved to New Jersey, before I came from New Jersey, <laughs> I came from a place called Albany, New York. And in upstate New York, Rush is not a religion, but something more holy than that. (laughs) Um, I had a steady diet of Rush on the radio. My father didn't really care. He he loved a lot of rock music. He wasn't throwing. He wasn't 
shutting off Rush if he came on the radio, but it, it wasn't for him. Not not his style. He wasn't. He didn't like Prague. Um, he didn't like. He didn't like a lot of the like seventies uh, guitar stuff. He liked some though, and the stuff he did like, he really liked. But sure. Rush wasn't one of them. Um, did he turn you on to Zeppelin? No, he liked Zeppelin, but he never put them me onto them. Um, oh, interesting. Okay, I know you're yeah, a big no, Zeppelin guy. That's I'm why a I huge asked. Zeppelin guy. Um, but no, he he uh, Hendrix for sure. Huge Jimi Hendrix fan. Um, really liked. He was like a guitar player dude, and, and but he also liked stuff like uh, Grand Funk and some of the dancer stuff. Like he got super into. I think when the '70s hit, he liked the guitar stuff, but he liked the boogie woogie he liked the uh he got more down for the funkier stuff so anyways i digress uh but but you you did you could not avoid rush if you lived in the 518 um and i did and i liked it and i was young like young like fifth sixth grade i'm like rush is pretty cool this is cool nice. like it wasn't moving pictures wasn't in my first 10 cassettes but it might have been the next grip. You know what I mean? Um, okay. Got it cheap at a strawberries. Um, probably used like we, or like in those metal wire. <laughs> God, this is so good. Um, the way that Walmart has the $5 DVDs just in a like mess in this bin, you know, that's oh, on yeah. the floor. Sometimes record stores would have it with cassettes or what have you because, you know, they're like they were indestructible theoretically like that. And I think I got it in there and uh, I liked it a lot. Um, So then advance. uh, So that's that's the part one. I I grew up in upstate New York and and Rush was a big deal there. Uh, Part two is similar to your high school experience, the dollar bin records. I had what I think of as my golden age of listening. Um, I was 19, had moved out, had no money, but also had no debt. I had no car, but I could pay my rent and I had a full-time job where I didn't make a lot of money. Let me be honest. I was 19. I didn't make a lot of money, but I made enough money to pay my rent, get food, have a monthly bus pass, uh, that I also was able to use on the train and buy records. Nice. And I also like classic rock. So yeah. aside from like punk and hardcore and all that stuff that I was <clears throat> buying of the time, I was also like, oh, like this is also 22 years ago. 22 years ago, you could buy any Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, you name it, 70s rock LP. For a dollar, two dollars max. Oh, this is in really nice shape. This one's three ninety nine. <laughs> you know? Dude, even even like maiden hair metal, new wave of British oh, heavy right. metal. It was all priest, oh, all that stuff. Yeah, dirt cheap. Uh, so so I was able to take a bust of vintage vinyl, which was a pain in the butt, but I would do it once every couple of weeks. Uh, I was in New York City. I was dating a woman who lived in Manhattan, so I was there three times a week. So I was going to the record stores there. And I could also jump on the train very easily from where I lived in New Brunswick to Princeton Record Exchange. Um, so I was there, and that was one of my spots that I'd get classic rock records. I had a grip of the Rush records. 2112 was one of them. It is one I vividly remember 
what I had, Pete, and this is a setup I hope people understand. I was in a room that was like eight by eight and a half. Maybe a little, maybe it was eight by 10. It was a small bedroom. And it was, I could fit a single bed, like a, whatever it is, was like enough room for me with wise. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, a TV that I had on crates, a bag of clothing, <laughs> my record player that was directly next to the bed. Then there's the door. So there was no space. It goes door frame, record player on top of a milk crate, my bed, <laughs> wall. That's it. Small bed. Beautiful. Um, Windows? Speaker- Yes, I did have windows because because I also had a radiator. I wish I could draw a picture of it. Then uh, opposite wall, windows that I was happy to have because uh, then from from across from the door, radiator that was one of those ancient ones that would steam Ooh. and my room would get super hot in the winter. So I'd have to open the window so it'd be blasting heat and freezing cold at the same time and you tried to find that medium. I don't miss that um, shit hated it radiator <laughs> bag of clothing that i had hanging like a mesh net bag uh so i had one that was clean clothes one that was dirty clothes had them pinned up on the wall uh milk crates in the milk crates that were directly under my tv i had oh no i had one milk crate under my tv that had my playstation uh my ps2 maybe yeah probably ps2 there um speakers on either side of the tv that was it. That was the room. Sounds like the perfect room. situation for a big Rush fan. Holy shit. I had yeah. just enough room for like one crate of LPs. Um, so I was like, that was a weird thing I had to do was I, I had I had seven inches. I had to figure out room. Like I, I probably had between one and two boxes of LPs at any given time. And I would have to like bring stuff back to my folks house, which was like an hour south. Um, not always easy, but whatever. I f- made it do. But that meant I played a lot of video games, uh, NBA, uh, uh, NBA Live at the time, which later would become NBA, t- not become, but switch over to NBA 2K. So I would work my job at a screen printing shop. Shout out to my man, Jeff. Uh, take the bus home to New Brunswick. Maybe get a burrito on my way home. Maybe just go straight home. Uh, maybe I had some peanut butter and jelly or Eggo waffles to eat or ramen. Uh, make food play video games, listen to records. Uh, the video game was essentially, I think I had the sound effects on, but no music playing so I could listen to music. Oh, Pete, this is what I call a golden life. I was it sounds so, like paradise. I was so happy. <clears throat> I had no money. Like there was times I had teens in dollars in my bank account. Like how much money you got till next Friday? Like $18. <laughs> But I have some food and uh, and uh, this bus pass so I can get to work and then I pay my rent and I'll have a little money. You know, it was comical. Yeah, but box, was, of, box of egg and waffles is what? Like four bucks? You're good. Well, Pete, oh, man, you're, throwing, you're putting me in a place. What the real <laughs> trick was you buy the 72 pack for $9.99. Nice. So when you do the math on that, I, I at one point knew it offhand. I think it was came down to almost like... 17 cents or something so it was it was because i would eat all right so uh 9.99 divided by 72 
13 cents, 14 cents per waffle. So I'd eat four waffles, throw in the <laughs> syrup, thing of the like cheap Aunt Jemima syrup, um, my, my four waffle Eggo meal, plus a can of soda maybe. Um, or if I was really broke, just glass of sink water, tap water was, <laughs> was clocking in at around like 70 cents. And I was like, yes, yes, I will live like this. Yeah, it's um, a good deal. But Rush 2112 was a record that got played, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. I didn't gravitate towards it, but I do have vivid memories of it um, and really enjoyed it. And anyways, uh, it has been a long time since I sat with it, though, because as I noted, like I gravitated a little bit more towards their later output. Um for whatever reasons that is, because uh, I also really, the record that came out before this fly by night is one I love. I love. And if people ask me, I always have to think like, all right, it's to me, I love fly by night. Uh, I love moving pictures. Uh, I like permanent waves. I really like hemispheres. Um, and then so 2112. So and, fly and by night is the one fly, fly by, by night, night. I had a lot of people recommend to me over the years. Mm-hmm. That was always the one that people recommended. Yeah. And I checked it out, and that one just didn't hit either. So I don't know that that what what's the hit on that one? Fly by night, fly by Is it night. Fly by night? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the one that it still gets a fair. I mean, still gets. What the hell am I talking about? I don't listen to radio. Um, it is it is one of the bigger <laughs> radio singles. Um, but like moving pictures, you get um, you Tom get Sawyer. Tom Sawyer, you get um free will you get limelight you know what i mean like like it's essentially like hit songs like tom sawyer limelight is free will not on here oh man maybe it's not um oh yeah free will's on permanent waves but it's just big ones um man, spirit radio on this one anyways um rush hell of a band i love them <laughs> but i also i also know lots of people who hate them so uh this record, I uh, let me ask you a question here about Rush twenty one twelve. Is this the record you would recommend someone who has not heard Rush before to listen to first? I don't know. I mean, I just assumed. I thought that this was the biggest Rush record, um, mm-hmm. but it's Moving Pictures. Yeah. Uh, but this is like a close second, apparently. So I feel like I picked a pretty good one. Um, but I would have to revisit the catalog. I'm not sure. I do remember that fly by night wasn't as, it was more kind of seventies rock. It didn't have as many like weird time signatures. It wasn't as kind of proggy. Yes. Um, but then I remember listening to a record like hemispheres and I had like no time for it when I heard it 20 something years ago. I'm curious now to hear what you'd think of. And maybe we need, that's our sequel is to do, hemispheres uh into moving pictures or do some kind of comparison or or even a comparison like i've been thinking we should do where a band with a long tail you compare two records that are very very different comparing fly by night and moving pictures there's still a lot of shared threads no question but sonically they're doing some very different things on those two records for sure i have a question for you yes where do you put i mean where do you put rush on the on the prog spectrum 
Like, are they closer to the non-prog, like, 70s rock, or are they on the progier edge of things? No, they're closer to the non-prog 70s rock. But right. Because that was like, kind of eye-opening for me on this one. Well, because... So here's the thing. And this is one of my main, like, hypothesis, thesis statements that I, I sometimes make when we talk about these things. I love when weirdos take popular influences and do their own thing with it. Yeah. I think Russia weirdos who loved a lot of popular big guitar rock of the early seventies and late sixties. Um, I don't think before I ever realized how, just how much Led Zeppelin was on this record. Um, I'm glad you made that reference. Yeah. There's so much. Same exact thing. Um, There's actually a ton of Pink Floyd and I'm like, Oh yeah, there is. But they're doing their own thing with it, which it is prog, but like I'm not hearing a touch of kraut rock or anything like that here. I'm not it, it's it's prog in a weird way, in a commercial mainstream way, but these guys are just taking big popular stuff and kind of doing their own thing with it, which I, I loved and love. Um but I was I to answer your question, yeah, I, I'm putting this this band is a lot closer to big quotes, just rock than it is prog yeah. rock. You know, I feel that I agree with you. I, I, we did King Crimson on this podcast not too long ago. And I was just thinking as I was listening to this rush record, like this really isn't even in the same world. Like King Crimson are doing something so different. And then like you take a band like Emerson, Lake and Palmer Yes. Like I listened to Tarkus recently. It's like, dude, if you're not in the mood, it is. And maybe some people are probably never in the mood in their entire lives, but like <laughs> it's, 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 it's unlistenable at certain points. If you're not like really in on it, this is like this rush record. I feel like any human can have this on wherever. And like, maybe they don't like it particularly, but they're not going to hate it except for maybe the vocals at certain points. Correct. But but like the music itself is just kind of, I don't want to say like standard fare, but it's like it can, it can blend in with like your typical kind of seventies rock radio. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty easily. The vocals are a decision and there's some stuff here. I'm going to cite. I actually like this record. All right, Peter, I'm going to throw out my other, thesis okay are rush proto power metal yeah now i say this yeah you know what i mean they, they pull For in sure. a lot of metal elements that and i want this to be clear they are not power metal i wouldn't even call rush a metal band like even in the 70s no. like, definition of what metal is but there's elements here where i'm like oh like be it vocally, be it some of the guitar and vocal interplay, be it how how raucous they get sometimes when they're really rocking. I'm thinking of like the late, the last song of this record. Uh, is it something for nowhere? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they there's some like power metal, a little bit of like the proto glamour, like hair metal stuff too. And I was like, oh, you know, and, and he gets pitchy and the vocal squeals. Um, that 
provide the bridge between Led Zeppelin and that kind of stuff that comes later. Um, and and I would not assign that distinction to any of their later material. Like Hemispheres, no. Moving Pictures, no. Like I, I just wouldn't. I wouldn't say that about those records. I think they're in a different place and they're hmm. doing different things vocally. Um, you know, it's I believe Getty Lee is the vocalist primarily. Um, what he's doing vocally here. Uh, there's more strain, and by the time you get to the Tom Sawyer, the Free Will, the Spirit of Radio stuff, he never is getting that strained. But on this yeah. record, you hear it kind of consistently. It's like part of their sound. He's going for it. Yeah, yeah. But so, so that's kind of um, to to answer the question. No, I don't think if you if you say if somebody said, "Hey, do you like guitar music?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you like like seventies rock stuff or like in general like seventies radio stuff? Sure, you're not gonna have a problem with Rush. You're not gonna have a problem with this record. Yeah, agreed. even even if it was someone who's like, oh, have you heard of the band Rush? Uh, yeah. Do you like them? Uh, twenty one twelve might be the answer, and and you could you could team in the earlier albums too. Um. In the same way as I know there's people who dislike Pink Floyd strongly as they get, as they progress their sound into mm-hmm. kind of this more <sighs> spacey thing and big room and stadium shit. Um, people go, oh, listen to the first couple albums, you know. If Rush, if you don't like moving pictures, there's still an off chance you could like 2112 and before. What can sure. Thing be so, um, I'm not going to spoil it. I was about to be like, hey, spoil it. Tell me, do you like this record or not? But I think we're going to get to that. I kind of like it sometimes when we get when we uncover that through the track by track. Um, this is going to be kind of an interesting track by track because the first quote-unquote track is 2112, which is a seven-part overture that's about 20 minutes long. See how it seems like a sad heart and
I have always suggested a one thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? But I did not separate it out, even though there are very unique movements and you could easily say, oh, these are seven different songs. Yeah. How did you digest that? I I kind of broke it up just okay, because good, it was good, it, good. It, it's, 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 it's more helpful for me. To, yes, yeah, it's more helpful for me to think through it. If if I think of it as one piece, it gets it gets a little out of control. Oh yeah. But yes, before we jump in, I just wanted to say so I think this is I was just reading the Wikipedia on this and I thought it was a little interesting that apparently they were facing total commercial failure before this record came out like the label yep. was considering dropping them there were uh, incre- like a decreasing amount of humans at their shows kind of month <laughs> over month people were not feeling caressive steel um and then this one really broke them out particularly into the u.s like this was the big That's record right. that got them uh hot over here so i thought that was cool um and I also want to read a quote from here about the song 2112, but we'll get into that uh, after Please. we start talking I about I also the music. think it's fascinating and cool that a record with that starts with a 20-minute song is the record that broke them in the U.S. I Shows know. Shows what and, different time things were, you know? And it's also like they're facing commercial failure. The label's thinking of dropping them, and they're like, hear us out, guys. We have a new record. It starts with the 20-minute seven part song well and, and from cool? what i uh, yes and what i understand <laughs> it was a like <clears throat> there was the request like hey can you do something a little more commercially accessible and they're like <laughs> how about no yeah right <laughs> and and it turned out to be more commercially successful so shout out there you um, go are we ready to go track by track let's go rushes 2112 all right so the 2112 overture the Temples of Syrinx, Discovery, Presentation, Oracle, The Dream, Soliloquy, and the Grand Finale. Um, Pete, lead us through because I love this. I'm a total sucker for it. <laughs> My overall overarching thing is that this touches, it's prog-ish, but not prog. Yeah. It touches into all these different 70s rock elements and like this is the meat of this record to me is this track essentially and um a hundred percent yeah it's weird it's got these different elements anyways so let's let's you you break us down i'll be able to interject as as i would yeah so the overture opens up and it it feels to me it's it's more or less what i expected it's it's a little noisy but mm-hmm. then there's these like proggy start stops and starts yep. um and then it just kicks into this like balls out rock song for yep. about half a minute. And then it starts getting weird again with like the proggy, you know, stops and starts and time signature changes. Um, which, so that's, yeah. Which I thought like starting with that noisier start, stop, start, stop kind of, it's a nice prelude. It, it gives you an idea like, Hey, we're going to do something a little different here. And then, but they don't, as you move into the next piece, it does rock and you're like, Oh, okay, cool. Like this isn't, this is not going to not deliver a rock record. Exactly. Yeah. I think they, they give a nice taste of what's to come on the, on the overture there. Then it kicks into temples of the syrinx, um, where the vocals come in super strong. It's kind of, 
this is that moment where you said it was a choice, the vocals. It's like, yeah, if you are not in on this, you're not going to be super happy with the rest of the record here. Um, but it's like the vocals there. I don't find them to be that grating at all. I really don't mind them, especially on this song and maybe one or two other songs where, like you said, he's really pushing the delivery. Yep. I, yep. I like that. Cause there's a lot of character to it that I, I never honestly thought of Getty Lee really having. So that was kind of eye opening for me. No, I mean, I have never disliked the vocals. I've always been a fan, but I also, um, hmm, I understand people who don't. Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of this higher voice octave thing, and I don't know. I I think it really. Where I find myself out on vocals. Um, it was where I don't like how I don't like the cohesion with the music. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like, you know, quite often for me, pop vocal stylings where the, the vocal sound uh, uh, pop vocal stylings on rock music where the vocal track feels detached. Longtime listeners will know this is something I have harped on. Totally takes me out. But with this, I think it just is a, a fellow with a unique voice. Um, but it doesn't feel inorganic and it actually feels as though they're conscious of it. And some of the, some of the songs lean into it. Like rush uses much brighter guitar work and, um, kind of upscaling, uh, scales. Like they go up where a lot of things only go down. And I think that those flourishes lean into somebody who has a higher pitch voice. Yeah. So I'm with you. Continue. continue next, so the next part of it, and I guess what I like about breaking it out is I was kind of thinking of these as separate two, two minute songs, two to three yep. minute songs. Like they're all pretty brief and they all, they all are pretty unique. Um, so I don't know. It's interesting, but discovery, um, starts getting a little weird starts with some what like frog noises and tuning <laughs> guitars <laughs> yes um and then it turns into kind of a more mellow guitar driven song very led zeppelin here yeah a very um, led zeppelin that, part here very led zeppelin yeah the way that the guitars kind of build with the vocals it it's it's straight from the zeppelin playbook so it's cool and it was this was another moment that for me was kind of eye opening because Again, I was like, man, this is just a 70s rock record more than anything. 100%. And that's that's the revelation through this track when you actually do the deep listen. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to get there, but there's a part that feels decidedly Renfair. I think maybe if it's not <laughs> the next section, but it's the section after that, where yeah. you feel like you could be watching this on a, a wooden stage with minstrels and bards. 100%. Uh, but they're running the gamut and kind of maybe that's part of why I like this record and particularly the, the 2112 song is that it's a display of talent and competency in variety without it feeling forced. And I, I you kind of keyed into something about that. And I just, 
that's right. This feels like it just kind of was rolling for them. And it's like, okay. And it's not a uh, something for everyone track, mm-hmm. but rather this kind of like, hey, let's kind of play with this and see how these sounds can inter- interact with each other in this space. Yeah. So the next bit presentation, uh, more 70s rock here. Just this is like taking uh, discovery, but making it a little bit more driving. Yes. And then it breaks into what you were referencing before the Oracle. <laughs> yes, the Oracle. Yes. Yeah. We're all sitting around uh, wearing uh, brown cloaks, pondering our orbs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, and actually, do we want to talk about what this song is about? Because that was particularly interesting to me. Uh, please do. So, I didn't know that um, Neil Pert wrote, wrote most of the vocals for Rush. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. That's cool. Yeah, that was new to me. So, apparently, he was a big Ann Rand guy. Oh. And uh, Ann Rand made the the rounds in the Rush tour van. And uh, they more or less wrote this song based on an Ayn Rand novel. Mm. Um, so I'm going to read you this little bit from the Wikipedia. Please. That's okay. Yeah. So 2112 tells a story set in the city of Megadon in the year 2112, where individualism <sighs> and creativity are outlawed with the population controlled by a cabal of malevolent priests who reside in the temples of Syrinx. A galaxy-wide war resulted in the planets forcefully joining the Solar Federation, symbolized by the Red Star. By 2112, the world is controlled by the priests who take orders from giant banks of computers inside the temple. Music is unknown in this world, absent of creativity and individuality. But Mm. in the song Discovery, a nameless Mm. man finds a beaten guitar inside a cave and rediscovers the lost art of music. In presentation, the man takes the guitar to the priests at the temple who say, yes, we know it's nothing new. It's just a waste of time. And then proceed angrily to destroy it and banish him. Next, in the Oracle, the dream, the man dreams of a new planet established at the same time as the Solar Federation where creative people live. Mm-hmm. Okay. He awakens, depressed that music is part of such a civilization and that he can never be a part of it and kills himself in soliloquy originally titled Soliloquy of the Soul. Mm, mm. We're, get, we're getting to the end. Another it. planetary war begins in grand finale, originally named Denouement, resulting in the ambiguous spoken ending. Attention all planets of the Solar Federation, we have assumed control. Pert described the ending as a, quote, double surprise, a real Hitchcock killer. <laughs> um. <laughs> What do you think about that, Bob? It's everything I want, not just in music, but in life. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's great. Uh, I've been I've been preparing for 2112 my whole life unknowingly. <laughs> this is where I'm just like, I mean, we all know this. Was it but Megadon? Like, is what they called it? Yeah, Megadon. Megadon. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Everything's like, cool. Yo, nerds, dude. <laughs> Correct. And like, I it's cool. I'm in that. on it. Yeah. yeah. But just like deep nerddom, you know? Oh, oh I mean unbelievably so deep so um yeah i mean if that doesn't sell you on the ride that is this record i, I don't know what will <laughs> so where were we um uh, uh soliloquy we at, soliloquy and, and grand finale 
Yeah, and grand finale. So pretty ballady, this one. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Much bigger song. It's like kind of triumphant, big energy, which if we're... I mean, soliloquy apparently is where the guy kills himself. So um, it's kind of a big part of the story, I guess, here. <laughs> um, yep. Getty Lee really going for it on the vocals. Um, big guitars here, big riffs here, big dramatic drum breaks. It's kind of, it's just, it's definitely like the biggest part of the song. And I feel like it could have been the outro, really. Um, and then grand finale, which is kind of back to the seventies groove. It's got like, it's got a good groove. It's got yeah. a good drive. It's maybe like as proggy as they get on this record in the middle of it. Yes. It gets kind of noodly and weird there for a minute. Um, and then the outro is great. The Federation assuming control and all of that. Although to me, it, it feels like it comes to kind of an abrupt ending at the end, but yeah, I think it might have literally been like, oh shit, this song's 20 minutes. Damn. Yeah, that's it. Um, so this is, that's 20 minutes of a, I believe it's a 49 minute track run, something like that. Um, yeah, and it's, uh, that's the record. It's, um, you get a sampler plate of it and I enjoy it. What did you think? Did you enjoy, do you enjoy the 2112 ride? I like. I'm. I'm. I'm here for it. Dude. Okay. Okay. Saying. Good. Good. Yeah. Good. All right. You're in. Good. Let's let's go to Passage to Bangkok. Next track. This one to me is so I said I put quotes memorable. Um, it has a rush sound that is pointing at what they end up doing a few years later, but isn't there yet. Um, so it's sort of it's there. Um, one of the things that Rush is unafraid of doing is weird, kind of corny things. Yeah, and um, dated sonic tropes. Yeah, as they have in this. Uh, are certainly included, and um, man, the <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how it feels, but it doesn't feel great. Nah, uh, but the song's fine. I, I, it's totally fine. It's memorable for that reason. It is reminiscent of some of the stuff they do later, but it, it's an okay song. Um, I mean, that's one of those things. Like, like. 
I don't think the people would have taken offense to it. No, then. The, no, the, no, the, no, no, no. People no. certainly weren't taking offense to it then the way that they would now. But at the same time, like if you heard that, then you'd still be like, this is kind of hokey. You know, it's just hokey. That's right. That's that, that's the thing is that um, uh, they're writing about a planet Megadon. You know what I mean? They're, they're weird. Dudes. <laughs> that, that, part of me loves that. And part of me sometimes, I go, ah, yeah, you know, sometimes you miss sometimes. Yeah. You know. um, I, I will say I the, the one thing I do like about this song is like how how distinct the verse is from the chorus, because mm. the, the chorus is this really big kind of like hooky piece and then the verse is like the harmonics are like a little darker it has like this darker riff to it so it's like the chorus feels really bright and the verse does not feel like it feels kind of darker and i like that that kind of juxtaposition there so and then yeah. i don't i don't like the uh so there you go. It's so insane. It's so insane. In it's a pretty good song without that. And it just like, it. I don't know. It doesn't. Well, so Whatever. years later, you get the, I'm turning Japanese. I'm, I'm turning Japanese. I really think so. Right. Um, that just like hammers that, that weird sonic trope uh, it's it's odd anyways um passage to bangkok um, the twilight zone the twilight zone so to me this one you get a lot more vibey a lot more groovy kind of drifty yeah than a lot of rush material um it's Dude, a lot i don't feel the reaper vibe on this one. Oh, yo that's actually an interesting parallel is, which by the way blue oyster cult for the 70s rocks fans they got tracks and they got albums too. Um, uh, yeah, I could see that. Um, it's like a loose song being played by very tight players. Yeah. And you feel that. And, and I like it. And I think this kind of flows in. It's um, it's not... You you kind of nailed it. I don't think it's, it's Led Zeppelin-y, but it's in that general kind of big guitar but we're gonna like take it for a little bit of a walk here and it's gonna drift and and whereas as you move forward in the rush catalog there's such a focus on precision and like metronome-esque yeah efficiency you don't you don't get moments like this very often in their catalog and i really like this song sure i really like this one too yeah like it really moves and works well all right, next one, Lessons. This one hit me very Led Zeppelin. For sure. Cascading guitars, uh, really nice rhythm, um, and playful, you know? Um, and it feels really different. So between Twilight Zone and then Lessons, you feel really different than where they go later on in their catalog. So kind of reiterating, just if you think you know Rush from the songs you, you're dad or your weird uncle have played and they're from their late 70s early 80s material this is something different yeah i the the thing notable about this one for me is really just that it's it's where i was thinking about them as a prog band but a different kind of prog band because this song basically has three to four like super distinct parts yeah that I, i think your average band would not put those parts together like this, but rush do, but those parts are not particularly like proggy. They're all kind of just like seventies rock ish 
parts, but they're so distinct that it makes it feel more like, you know, uh, concise and proggy. I, I, I hate keep using that word, but like, but it makes it more like mathy than, than your average seventies rock band. That's right. The way, the way that they're kind of constructing the song. So yeah, I thought, I thought this was an interesting tune. Uh, the next track is tears. This one more Zeppelin here for me. I mean, just it's that kind of guitar ballady like build, yep. Yep. and then and then it kicks into I think some of the Pink Floyd that you were talking about yep. before. Actually, it's symphonic, bluesy, yeah. big room ballad. Yeah, yep. this is. Yep. Um, I said it's a, a touch of spaciness, but not cosmic. This is yeah. Starry Night Renfair. <laughs> yeah, it feels more like a mood piece and like or like a bridge than it does its own song to me. But yes, I agree with that. Yeah. Actually, I think that's that's right on. Um, I don't I don't dislike it though. I, I no, think it's, cool. it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're, we're at the end of the record. Uh, something for nothing. great energy on this one they kind of bring back the driving rock energy here um there's a lot of time changes but then there's another super catchy chorus chorus yep um i think it's great it's great song great outro to the record it's cool yeah i i this is about as high energy the version of rush as you get on this record um i like it it really rocks actually um yeah and it leaves you on a high note in terms of the energy, which is not what I think somebody who goes into this record would have expected. I think you would have expected kind of a, I don't know, to go out on some sort of quiet note or uh, to fade out, but they really, they go out with a bang. And I think that's valuable because it makes you go, wait a second, this is not some short record, uh, you know, 20 minute song and all. But there is an efficiency in this. There's songs with a bunch of parts, but it, 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 you tell me, but for me, this moved pretty well. Like this record doesn't, doesn't sit despite the no, fact it that it's okay. Good. That's, that's how I felt too. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, um, Pete, I left listening to this record on this listen through vaulting this in my uh my rush record standings and and it's now it's now like oh yeah this record's great i forget about it but it creates such a bridge in rock sound and it's something i've been thinking about a lot we've talked about it with different bands i i really like sonic connectivity i like seeing things and how they move and 
big waves, small waves, etc. But Rush ends up being an odd bridge uh, between 70s rock and then some of what 80s rock is and how different 80s rock becomes and this record in particular because it shows a few different threads and as i said that like influences that could have been taken into power metal and some of the vocal cues and just being okay and then what rush becomes as a rock band is really different than this record but this record solidly 70s rock and i'm here for it same. I'm like, I was surprised by how much I liked it. And it was one of those things where I had it on my Spotify, just <clears throat> kind of on repeat and would catch myself listening to it a few times over and not even realize it. So Hell I'm yeah. in, I'm in. Hell dude. Yeah. All right. Well, with that said, let's give it some uh, arbitrary ratings. Um, let's give it, you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Holistic quality. How good is Rush 2112 out of 20? I think this record's pretty good. I went with a 15. I gave it a 16. All right. H- highs. How good are the best parts of this record out of 10? It doesn't get crazy super high for me. Mm-hmm. So I gave it a seven. I give it an eight. Okay. It, you know, it's to 2112 and it's like, uh, the thing I'm so fond of saying, it's like there's there's not truly a single per se off this record, but the energy of 2112 and the creativity um, probably it deserves a seven, but I, the energy of Megadon pushes it to an eight for me. <laughs> You're right about Megadon, maybe. Yeah. Lows. How bad are the worst parts of this record? Or how good are the worst parts of this record? To me, Pete, it was a six. There were very okay. few parts of this record that I were like, you know, even even the songs I thought were for, relatively forgettable weren't bad. You know, Passage of Bangkok, it's not bad. It's fine. Yeah. No, it doesn't get too bad. I, um, but I felt a little differently. I gave it a four. Okay. That's, that tracks. It's fine. Um, I also, to be honest, I'm comparing it to some other Rush records where I feel like the highs are high okay. and the lows are uh, skippers. Um I imagine they get pretty low at a certain point. Yeah. Um, competency, peer review. Pete, I give it a nine. I just think they're doing a unique sound that is kind of between things. It's like a crevice sound. Uh, it's not, It's it, we've, we've decided fully, it's not prog, but it's got some prog elements. It is classic rock. It is 70s rock. It's got some metal elements, but I wouldn't call it metal by any stretch. Um but it's doing its own thing uh, and it's pulling elements from other things. I just think it sounds really good. So it's a, it's a nine for me. I landed in the same place and I, I had to kind of look at the records that came out in 1976 Ooh, um, just call. to like see like where it fell. But I mean, there was a lot going on at the time. You have like electric light orchestra, a new world. Um, you have Steely Dan, the Royal scam. Mm. Um but then you have like Kiss Destroyer and the Boston self-titled record and Blue Oyster Cult, actually Agents of Fortune. So like a lot of interesting records, interesting time for music. But I also feel like they were doing a thing that a lot of bands were hinting at in different ways. But like everyone was doing their thing. Everything was pretty unique, I feel like. And Russia, no Russia exception. Really stand, yeah, and I think yeah. they stayed out on their own island there. For sure. Um, 
Drag factor out of 10. Does this record drag? No, I gave it an eight. <sighs> Same. Uh, which was shocking to me because I was like 49 minutes. Uh-oh. I was thinking the same time. thing. Yep. Yeah. Flow out of 10. So I gave it a seven because mm. I think the first half flows really well. I think the second half doesn't flow as well as like the, you know, collection of five songs that the B side is. I also got a little bit tired mm. with the, with the like, kind of roller coaster that this record presents to you where it's like yeah. these big highs and then it's like back down to the ballady Zeppelin thing and then yep. the big high and then it's it's kind of the same thing over and over. So actually I'm gonna drop it from a seven to a six because of that. Well Pete, I didn't have to drop it from a seven to six because I already had a six. <laughs> I was Fair in the enough. exact same there place. I thought the flow was perfect. Twenty one twelve is this fun example of flow, but it's a single you know, yeah. piece. Uh, and then I think the second half of the record is collection of songs. Um, and there is some real undulation, which uh, is not always a great listening experience. So yeah. six, and it's not bad. It's just hmm, up and down. Um, aesthetic, the look and feel of this record. Pete, I gave it an eight out of 10. I really like it. Um, it is not my favorite Rush record uh, aesthetically, but um, overall, I'm a fan of the look. Fly by Night is pretty sick. Fly by Night's so sick. That owl. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I actually gave it an eight too. I really like the album cover. Impact and influence out of ten. This one I gave a six because I think it is influential. It you know as we discussed kind of on the top, um, it's the record that kind of broke them into the market. But sonically, I don't think this is the record anyone is citing as like the Rush sound or them as a band and i can think of very few descendants of rush as far as um sonic lineage so six good record certainly people would cite it important etc but i don't always hear the influence yeah i that's kind of where i landed too and i don't even have the reference points of the other rush records but i just i know that they were an influential band for a lot of people musicians whatever but i like right now i don't hear that anywhere so i no. give it a five uh, the intangible, etc. Things that you feel when listening to this record or this band and how it impacts your overall uh, feeling towards it. Um, I gave it a seven because I felt warm towards it. I like it. And I'm going to check out other Rush records. Right. And this is the Rush record that kind of brought you to the fold. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, it is a nine out of ten for me. I think Rush is fucking cool uh, for being so goddamn weird and like, uh, just just go back to the part where Pete explained the lyrics to 2112. <laughs> like, go back. Uh, nine out of ten. Megadon, dude. Megadon. Um, <laughs> it sounds like, like all right, like, obviously the shark, the Megalodon thing. But yep. Megadon sounds like, uh, so like a corny pizza chain does like <laughs> the Megadon. And it's uh, it's like a a cheesesteak wrapped in a extra large pizza. Yeah. Kind of thing. Like it's, Oh, I gotta get the mega Don. Get yourself the mega Don. You know, oh, that's good, dude. You know, I uh, like so, that. so everybody get yourself a mega Don Pete. I came out at a 76 on this one, which feels nice. really right. It feels really right for how I feel about this record. I landed at a 69, but because of the mega Don, I'm going to push it to a 70. I liked it better at 69, but I like that. Um, and even Pete, 70 even 70 pete will you be adding this to your collection or did did a copy of this make it through the purges 
I don't currently have any Rush records, but if I find this for a dollar, I will buy it. Already got it. Nice. A dollar copy somewhere in my attic, so maybe I'll pull it out, but I do own it. Um, yeah, this was a fun one. Everybody should message us on social media, uh, Instagram and Twitter, at... At TraxPod. And they can send us the excellent emails at... TraxPod at gmail.com. And they can leave us five-star reviews basically anywhere you choose. I mean, Yelp, honestly, like uh, Grinder, whatever. <laughs> you find it. Throw that thing a five-star. Absolutely. Everybody, good night.